Well, let me say hello to everyone here and to all those who are watching via our video here at the Brentwood campus or if you're watching a podcast or YouTube of this message today that is our second message in our No Ordinary Marriage series. And today we want to talk about the piece of paper matters. The piece of paper matters. Well, you just watched a video that celebrated... Um, two people, a man and a woman, making the deepest type of promise and commitment to one another through what we call marriage. And yet, this is becoming uh, less and less um, the first step for a lot of men and women in our culture today. In fact, in our culture today, a growing view we see being lived out more and more, and we see it in our movies, we see it in novels, and we see it in songs, and it can be expressed in this way, is that I love you, so why do I need a piece of paper? I love you, why do I need a piece of paper? Because somehow in our culture, we've decided that real love is just about romance and about passion, and it has nothing to do with duty or legalities or contracts. Let's just keep those two things separate. In fact, there's a sneaking feeling that the moment you start getting all legal and duty-bound, it takes all the joy, all the romance, and all the passion out of the relationship. In fact, this is um, what some are saying right now, a highly um, romanticized and subjective view of what marriage is. It's just really about passion. It's about romance. And when you lose those feelings, well, the marriage is gone anyway. So really, again, why does the piece of paper matter? And so you see many settling for what we call cohabitation and a common law way of living. Now, I, again, just want to say to you that as we go through this series, just want to highlight uh, the book that I would really recommend that you read. It's a great book. I've been reading through this, um, a very thoughtful um, and meaningful conversation around marriage by Timothy Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. And I uh, encourage you to get it. Go to Amazon. You can get it on your Kindle reader for $11.49. That's what I, I got it for. So it makes for a great read. Again, I would even recommend, and I'm going to do this, I'll make this announcement so my kids aren't surprised. I'm going to give a copy of, each, of this book to each one of my kids. I honestly believe it's better that they read it now so they get a right view about what a healthy marriage is rather than thinking they've got it figured out, and then 10 years into a marriage go, uh-oh, boy, did I make some wrong turns. So um, again, I really think this is one of the best books today on presenting a Christian view of marriage. Well, again, we, let's just talk about today about this idea of um, a covenantal marriage. Now, again, the word covenant, ironically, is a word that's being eroded from our culture. We understand what a consumer relationship is, but we don't understand what a covenant relationship is. It's not in our thinking today. But I want to reinsert this big word into your mind and get our, our understanding that this is the basis of a Christian marriage. So what is a covenantal marriage? Let's just, let's just go to this definition that you see here. Um, a covenantal marriage is a long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal contract. That's a covenantal marriage. It's a long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal contract. Uh, you know, what the Christian view of marriage is and says 
is that passions and romantic feelings can come and go. But it's the long-term binding commitment that gives marriage a solid foundation. As I said already, many, many people in our day and age think love in such subjective terms that if you talk about any sense of duty, it's considered unhealthy. You know, one of the most widely held beliefs in our culture today is that romantic love is all important in order to have a full life, but they also understand that it almost never lasts. And a second widely held belief in our culture today is that marriage should be based on romantic love. Now think about this. Taken together, these convictions lead to the conclusion that marriage and romance are essentially incompatible and that it's cruel to commit people to a lifelong connection after the inevitable fading of romantic joy. Now stop and think about that. That we in our culture today have only said real married love is built on the flames of romantic love. But the problem is romantic love, for any of us who have been married for any period of time, we know fleets and fades away from us at times. Now... Today, we want to talk then about why it's so important that the foundation of a healthy marriage is built on a covenant. It's built on a long-term binding promise or commitment that's embodied in a legal contract. Now, in order for us to get an understanding of this, I want to talk about two different viewpoints on marriage. One, and what we want to call this is the consumer versus the piece of paper. Consumer versus the piece of paper. So let's go to that next slide. Um, now, the choice we have to make is whether we will treat the marriage in a consumer relationship versus a covenant relationship. Let me explain what I mean. In a consumer relationship or a vendor relationship, you have a relationship with a store owner or vendor who's giving you good products at a good cost. Now, that relationship is primarily about you getting provided something that meets my need. You know, I always think about the vendor relationship, and I go back, and this shows my age being here in Moncton, but I remember the co-op store um, downtown, uh, in the downtown area, and I remember driving on the back end of that store, and they said, we have two rules at the co-op store. And here were the two rules. Rule number one, the customer is always right. Rule number two, Go back and check rule number one. The customer. And in a vendor relationship, in a consumer relationship, that works. Because basically, if I am a vendor trying to sell you my goods, I will try to meet your needs, and I will try to give you the best price, and I will try to make you feel good while you buy my product. Because if you don't, I know that you're going to go drive down the street to another store, and I'm going to become bankrupt because I'm not selling my goods. The customer is always right. His needs beats our relationship. He may even like me, but if he doesn't like my price, it doesn't matter. My needs overrule the relationship. Now, that's really important to understand because a lot of relationships that you have in this society are vendor relationships. And, and please understand, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of our economy. That's how business is done. But now let's compare a vendor relationship to a covenant relationship. And the best example of a covenant relationship where you have a long-term 
binding commitment to someone, and a great example of this is a parent and child. Now, the child is born, and that child may be loving, that child may be selfish, that child may praise you every day as a parent, that child may mock you every day as a parent. Now, here's the reality. Your needs may never get met for 20 years as a parent by that child. And you can't say to that child, you are not meeting my needs. I'm going down the street and find another child. Because if you did, you would be charged by the police for two things. One, child abandonment. And two, child kidnapping by taking some other's child. Okay? I mean... It's so important to understand that between a parent and child, and we understand this intuitively, don't we? That this is a covenant relationship. You have this long-term binding commitment to your child if you're a parent. And I'm looking at all the parents and they're like, oh my goodness, you're right. I'm in this covenant relationship. And guess what? If the child was sitting here right now and they understood what I was saying at this conceptual level, what they would say to you is this. You understand, parent, that the relationship is more important than your needs. And they would smile and laugh and then do their next crazy thing, okay? Now, now here's what's interesting. Now, apply this to marriage. Now, let's apply this to marriage. And I would contend with you that when we start on the journey towards marriage, our relationship is more of a vendor relationship. It's more of a consumer relationship. Because before you marry, when two people are dating and even engaged, the relationship is still much more of a consumer relationship. You are, as Timothy Keller says in his book, marketing and promoting yourself. You're putting on your best, your best foot forward. You're showing restraint. You're showing self-control. You're putting on your best face. Oh, he's coming tonight. I'm so glad to see you. And um, you're trying to actually service the needs of the other person. Because you know during that pre-marriage covenantal decision time, that person, if their needs aren't being met, can walk at any time. They can even, you know, be that runaway bride, right? Go right up to the altar and take off, right? Right? And that is where, please understand, everyone knows when they're dating that the needs are still ahead of the relationship. The needs are here and the relationship's here. But once you marry from the Christian point of view, you now have entered into a long-term, a long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal contract. And now you are saying at that point when you say, you, you get up and the pastor says, first of all, ask you some questions. Will you, you know, before God and before these people make these promises to each other? And you stand before God and before the people and say, I do. And then you turn to each other and say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, and death do you part. And I do. And you are now have entered into that long-term binding commitment. And what you are saying is, from now on, this relationship is more important than my needs. Up until that moment, my needs were more important than the relationship, but now the relationship is more, and you have gone from a vendor relationship to a covenant relationship. Now, let me ask you, which one do you want to build your marriage on? 
Do you want to maintain a consumer relationship in your marriage where you're always saying, my needs are met, I'm walking down the street and find a better partner? You stop and think about this. Or do you want to say, when we enter into this marriage, this relationship is ahead of my needs? Now, it doesn't mean my needs aren't important. It doesn't mean I don't talk about my needs. But the relationship always trumps my needs. Now, please think about this. See, the piece of paper creates some really good things. Because I would contend for you, and again, when we think about that, saying, yeah, I don't want to be in a marriage that's consumer-based. I want to be in a covenant-based marriage. Why? Well, let's think about three things that the, the, the piece of paper creates. First of all, it creates security. It, it, it creates security in, in different ways. It creates security to be vulnerable, first of all. It's interesting, sometimes one of the most difficult things in the journey to, to a truly deep, fully satisfying marriage, and there are couples that take 50, 60 years to even begin to get here, and one of the reasons why we even have big night outs is to help to teach couples, and I don't care what age you are, teach couples to understand each other better so you can begin to go deeper, but to go to that place of vulnerability where you can say, this is who I really am. This is what, oh, this is a real vulnerable statement. This is what I need from you right now. Whew, there's a lot of couples that can't say that conversation right now. They can't say, look, I need this from you. They can't do it. Because what if the person says no? Or what if the person says, I'm not going to give it to you? What if the person mocks that person for it? People can't stand that vulnerability. But when you're in a covenantal marriage to say the relationship is ahead of each of our needs, all of a sudden I now have the security to be able to be vulnerable and to be open and to start saying here's where I struggle and here's where, I'm, where I have needs. You know, also though, wedding vows don't only bring security to be vulnerable, they also bring security for our futures. Because think about this. Wedding vows should never be a declaration of, I love you right now. Because the classic wedding vows that I really get on to couples to say, I'm going to really be a hard nose about this. I'm not changing these wedding vows. Because the wedding vows I believe that you, we should all be giving to one another when we're into that marriage moment are what we call future vows. Because we say, I promise to be loyal to you, to love you, and to be with you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That's all future statements. Now stop and think about this. You see, when I make that covenantal promise, I am making a binding promise about our future love. Do you realize the only thing you can give to your spouse, if you're married here this evening, or at, at the uh, church listening to this, is that you are giving the only thing about saying, look, the future's uncertain. We don't know if we're going to be poor one day. We don't know if we're going to be rich one day. We don't know if we're going to be sick one day. We don't know if one of us is going to get Alzheimer's one day. We don't know. But one thing I'll tell you, and I'll tell you this right now, I am either he or she who will be there with you. Now, do you feel the power of that? That's covenantal marriage. I am he who will be there with you. I am she who will be there with you. 
That is what you can give. That's the type of security you can give. Well, here's another thing that the piece of paper provides. Not only security, but also provides stability. It creates stability because it goes beyond fleeting emotion and it moves us to that place where we get to create something through what is called time and will. Let me ask you this. What do you want to become? The late Louis Meads wrote once about the power of promising. He, he, um, he was an author and a theologian and a philosopher, and, and this is what he says. He talks about the power of promising, and he says, um, you know, some people, he says, ask who are they, and they expect their feelings to tell them. But feelings are flickering flames that fade after every fitful stimulus. Some people ask who they are and expect their achievements to tell them, but the things we accomplish always leave a core of our character unrevealed. Isn't that so true? You can have all the, the f things around you, but you still know your core of your character still isn't revealed. And some people ask who they are and expect visions of their ideal self to tell them, but our visions can only tell us what we want to be, not what we are. And then Smeeds makes this very insightful statement. He says, who are we? And Smeeds answers that we are largely who we become through making wise promises. We become through the promises we make. That's who we are. So what promises have you made? That's who you are. It's interesting that for those of you who are into literature, and I know if my daughter's watching this, she'll appreciate this because she's a bit of a literature person. Um, Robert Bolt, a man, the person who wrote A Man for All Seasons, it, it was the story about Sir Thomas More, who's, who in this play, his daughter Megan pleaded with him to break the oath he'd once made and thereby save his life. And this was Thomas More's response to his daughter who said, look, because his daughter basically said, look, why don't you just say you don't believe in the oath you, you made, but still believe it in your heart? And he goes on and he says this to his daughter. He says, when a man takes an oath, Megan, he's holding his own self in his own hands. Now you think about that. When you make a promise, you are holding yourself in your own hands. And like water, and if he opens his fingers then, he needn't hope to find himself again. If you make a promise and don't keep it, you've lost your identity. You see, Lewis Meads goes on to say, it's our promises that gives us a stable identity. Can you keep your word? Can you make a promise? And the deepest promise you ever make on the face of this earth is between a man and a woman. And understand this. If you can keep your promises, you will have a stable identity. If you can't, you won't have a stable identity. And without a stable identity, you can't have stable relationships. Oh, the power of the long-term binding promise or commitment. And here's one other benefit of the piece of paper which represents that commitment. It gives us freedom. Now, isn't that, doesn't that sound counterintuitive? Making a promise, walking down the aisle and saying, I do, gives you freedom? Well, it does, actually, if you think about it this way. See, if you never know the discipline of making a promise, you are still enslaved then to your impulses, to your desires, to your emotions and your feelings. The philosopher Kierkegaard says you are not free if you cannot make a promise. Chew on this statement by, again, Lewis Meads. I am most free when I can make a promise. That means you are not dictated by circumstances. You're not dictated by peer pressure. 
You're not dictated by temptation. You've made a promise, and therefore you are free. Well, let the moves on to the final part of this message. We've talked about this piece of paper, right? That this piece of paper represents the covenant relationship. We've talked about the benefits of the piece of paper. But now let's talk about the piece of paper and love itself. You see, when you're willing to sign the piece of paper and say, I do, I promise, this is my long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal contract, you know what you're saying? I, I love you enough to marry you. You know, when you're willing to take this step, you're taking a step into true love that is both passionate and filled with a power, and it shows a deeper understanding. You know, when the Bible speaks of love, it measures it primarily not by how much you want to receive. So often we make love self-centered. But true love, the Bible says, is how much you're willing to give of yourself to someone. Now let me ask you this. How much are you willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much of your freedom are you willing to forsake? How much of your precious time, emotion, and resources are you willing to invest in this person? And for that, you see, the marriage vow, the covenant vow, is not just helpful, but it's even a test. I know I've talked to people who've come up to me and said, well, he or she says he or she loves me, but doesn't want to marry me. And I want to give you a response from Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. Tim Keller says, when someone says that, oh, I love you, but I don't want to marry you, Keller says, what he or she is probably saying is, I don't love you enough to marry you. I don't love you enough to marry you. I don't love you enough to lose my independence. I don't love you enough to bind myself to you. And to say I don't need a piece of paper to love you is basically saying my love for you has not yet reached the marriage level. You know, a covenant relationship is not just intimate despite being legal. I know some people again think like, oh, intimacy and romance, what does the legal document have anything to do with it? I would argue with you that a relationship is even more intimate when it is legal. Why? Because someone who says, I love you, but we don't need to be married, may be saying, I don't love you enough to curtail my freedom for you. But when that one person and that other person is willing to enter into a binding covenant that says, I will be with you no matter what, far from stifling love, I would argue it supercharges it. You know, when two people genuinely love each other and are not simply using one another for sex or status or self-actualization, think about it. They don't ever want the situation to change. What, what does each one want when they're falling in love? They're saying, will you be with me forever? Will we travel this road of life till death do us part? And each one wants assurances of commitment to one another. That's how God created us. Well, let me just end by drawing you to the Word of God, because I've done a lot of journeying around this Christian covenantal idea, but let's go right into the Bible just in these last couple of minutes. See, Christian marriage is defined by God's covenant love. You see, covenant is a big, big idea in the Bible. In fact, if you were to go, first of all, and turn to the Old Testament, God's relationship with his people constantly was expressed in a covenant. 
Let's look at, let's just go on a little Bible journey just for a second. In the Old Testament, there's Moses and the people, and he brought the law down from Mount Sinai. And then we read this. It says, then Moses took the blood from the basins. Yeah, let's go to that next slide there. Oh, actually, you're going to have to go all the way back to the beginning there, Jacob, and, and get that first verse. But it's Exodus 24, verse, verse 8. There we go. Um, then Moses took the blood from the basins, and actually, I think uh, Brent was trying to not be, not freaky out, but actually he splattered the blood on all the people, just soaked them. So that, that's how it actually goes on to say, kind of wild. And then it says, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant, the Lord with you, with you in giving you these instructions. So for God, giving the, 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 the law, the Ten Commandments, he was saying, this is my covenant. This is my long-term binding commitment to you. And we see that covenant being worked out all through the journey of God with his people. But then we come to Jesus, and he too talks in covenantal terms about this long-term binding commitment. And look what he says here in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And it's reviewing when he was um, giving the Lord's Supper. And in verse 25, we read this. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup, here we go again, is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. So again, it's all about this long-term binding relationship. And then, just to connect the dots... This is the type of understanding we're supposed to bring to a marriage because Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 5. And, and let's just pick this up. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So how did he love it? Now notice the connection. He goes all the way back to Genesis and says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and notice this, be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now I want you to just underline that word in your mind, be joined. Now, if you were reading some old translation of the Bible, it used to say, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. And now catch this, the, big, the old-fashioned word was, and cleave to his wife. So a guy was to leave and cleave. You know the word cleave means? It means, or joined, it means covenant. It's every other time that actual Hebrew word is used, it is describing a relationship of a covenant, either between a person and God or a person and people throughout the Bible. So right there is the covenantal statement rooted right at the very beginning between a man and a woman. Now what does all that mean? Well, it simply means that marriage is unique and is the most deeply covenantal relationship possible between two human beings. Because why? Now, don't miss this, because God says, I want marriage to reflect the very covenant that I have between myself and those who love me and know me. And that is why, actually, when marriage is described, it's not only just described as a covenant between a man and a woman, it's described as a covenant between people and God themselves. And so, when you think about this covenant, think about let me be a little carpentry for a second. Think about how you're making an A-frame house. You need the man, you need the woman, and they lean against each other, and they form that union. But guess what? 
In order for that A-frame house to stand firm, it needs a foundation. And what's that foundation? That foundation is the promise, the long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal contract that says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death do we part. And I make this promise before God, before my family, before the state, and before you. Now, as we stop and think all about that, oh my goodness, I gotta, I gotta end up over time by, okay, I can, I can just get this in. In every marriage series, I always talk about sex at some point, so I'm gonna throw a little sex in here just at this moment and connect it with the covenant. Do you understand that sex, when it's in the consumer relationship, is all about meeting each other's needs? And it's about enticement. And it's about um, uh, impressing and saying, hey, I'm, I'm a good product. Come by me. But sex, when it's inside the covenant relationship, is about giving and affirming one another. And that's very covenantal. It's about saying, let's celebrate this relationship that we've bound ourselves together in. Do you see the difference? Where sex outside of marriage is about impressing and enticing, sex inside of marriage is about giving and affirming. Consumer versus covenant. There, that was my, my, my sex talk in marriage series. Now listen, I've been talking about the piece of paper and, 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 and here, you know what? In our, in our culture, you have to sign legal documents. You have to sign a marriage register. You have to sign a document from the government. And you also have to sign a marriage paper that, that you keep yourself for your own records. You sign three documents. That's the way we do it in North America. In other cultures, guess how they, they, what their piece of paper is. They may walk through animal parts. They may stomp on glass. They may jump over a broomstick. Whatever the culture does to say this is the public commitment, the solemn vow that is held accountable between God and one another. Listen, the essence of marriage is a long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal contract. The piece of paper matters. It really does. At this time, I'm going to release the, the service over at the Brentwood campus to Pastor Carolyn as we bring this service now to a time of closure. Well, as the band comes up, I would just ask that we would close in prayer. Lord, today, help us to see the value of a covenant. Help us to see that's how you relate to us. You made a promise to us, Lord, and Lord, that covenant relationship wasn't based on how much we impressed you or met your needs, but you loved us despite our brokenness. And in that loving, we are changed. Now, Lord, help us to bring that type of covenant into our marriages. And Lord, for those who are moving down the road towards marriage, help them to see that that's the type of relationship, marriage, covenant, that they're called into, where the relationship is, goes before each of their needs. Now, Lord, today, help us to see what courage it takes, what grace it takes, what strength it takes, but, Lord, what freedom and security and stability it brings 
Lord, again, we just pray for all of marriages and, Lord, for all the future ones. Bless us, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for coming this evening. I want to encourage you to stay behind for a few minutes to connect. There's still some coffee and tea. Please, if you're a married couple, we encourage you to buy a big night out ticket. And God bless you. Good night.